Well, good morning. And welcome to the worship service of Family Bible Church. I am both thrilled and delighted that you are here under the biggest spotlight I've ever been on before. <laughs> and my friends, I just want to remind you of a couple of things here this morning. First and foremost, we are maintaining social distance, six foot. Watch out. Watch out for one another. Let's look out. It's one of the ways we love one another, is not spreading diseases to one another. <laughs> so, what we practice here this morning is a wave. Everybody waving. Some people are too cool for the wave. So I want to introduce to you something I like to call the finger guns. Go ahead, everybody, try them out. Anybody? All right, thank you, Thomas. We have one participant this morning. <laughs> A tithe and offering bucket is right over here to the, my left, to the right of the uh, enhanced stage this morning, formerly known as my trailer. It is appropriately named tithe and offering. So don't forget to support the church and the ministries and missionaries that we are supporting. My friends, I am glad that you are here. I hope that you got all of the info downloaded, perhaps the sermon outline for this morning, talking about the events coming up for today. If not, well, just listen carefully then. All right. It's very good. Very good. Well, let us begin our service here this morning with some quiet prayer and meditation. Take some, a moment here to quiet yourself, prepare your heart before the Lord, to worship Him, to receive His Word, to honor Him with your thoughts, your attentiveness, and your desire to respond in obedience. Let's pray. Our good God and Father, we pray that and invite your spirit to work in our lives here this morning, to convict us of our sin, and to give us clean hands and clean hearts, as David wrote, to create within us a clean heart before you. For God, we know that while others see our faces, you look on the heart. So God, make us holy. Lead us as we worship you here today. Teach us, Holy Spirit, the truth. Open our eyes and give us understanding of these things. And in doing so, Produce within us this spiritual fruit, this character, this, 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 this very character of Christ. 
we might be different, that we might honor you as we live. And Father, as we pray for one another here today, we pray, God, that you would bring us to maturity, using every circumstance of our life, in the past, in the present, every event that frustrates us, God, and every event that brings us joy. Shape us to the character of Christ, I pray. Grow us up in the faith. Give us profitable time in prayer and in study of the word of God. God, help us to not let a day go by that we wouldn't even think of it and not spending time with you in the word and in prayer. Father, I pray that you would teach us to hate sin, to resist temptation, to learn to say no to that which turns our back on you. And God, help us to proclaim the gospel. When that door opens, when it becomes so evidently clear that what the person in front of us needs to hear is the truth. God, help us to not shrink back in shame or in fear, but help us to stand and to speak. And God, we know that that is all a part of this. Help us to be people of love. Chip away all the hate in our life and all the anger and the angst that people might see us and marvel and say, look how they love one another. Change us, God, from the inside out. And I pray these things in your power and for your glory. May you hear and answer these prayers that we ask in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said. Said amen. Friends, I want to encourage you to take your copy of the scriptures and turn with me to the book of Psalms, the book of the Psalms. And when you find Psalm, which is, by the way, about right in the middle of the Bible, so if you've got one of those paper guys here today, just go right to the center and you'll be pretty close to chapter 19, I'm sure. I want to encourage you, my friends, to follow me in your copy of the scriptures as I read Psalm 19. My friends, I would encourage you to know this psalm well. This psalm is about how God has revealed truth to us. In verse 1 we read, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. Oh, there is no speech, and nor are there words whose voice are not heard. 
and their voice goes out throughout all the earth and the words to the end of the world. And in them he has sent a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul, and the testimony of the Lord is sure, making the wise, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart, and the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey, and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins, and let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. And let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. My friends, consider carefully the words that we have just read. The impact of the truth and the power of the Word of God in our lives. Do not neglect it. Do not neglect it. As we, uh, as we have just read through this chapter about God's revelation, broken up into two sections, the first is called general revelation. And general revelation is, is talked about in looking up into all of God's creation, and knowing things that it can teach us of his power, of his divine nature, of his beauty, his creativity, his love. And then he talks about something called special revelation. Things that are written down, recorded and preserved that you and I might study the word of God. And that in being unwise, we become wise. And we understand God's creation and his plan. And then we begin to understand where we fit in it. God revealing to us, to us who he is, what he is doing, why he is doing it. That we might live well in this world. And my friends, I want you to know that it is a sure word, a certain word, a word that you can rely on. 
a word that you can trust. And that is, by the way, precisely what the people of Israel were learning in the book of Esther. I mean, there they were, and perhaps what they could imagine is their, their worst dream nightmare come true. They had been savagely pulled from their homes, their houses, their towns, their city, their country, and taken captive in this foreign land. And these foreign people with their foreign languages and their foreign ways looked down upon as beaten. And God told them that that would happen in Jeremiah chapter 25. And why? Because of their own sin and for the purposes of God. Seventy years, Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 25, because of their sin and rebellion against God, taken out of a land, a promised land. And the word promise is going to become pretty important here this morning. God makes promises. Did you know that? Herbert Lockyer, when I was new in the ministry, and uh, building up my library, I came across this author who was quite prolific. And I like to refer to it as the All series. And it is all of the prophets of the Bible, all of the prophecies of the Bible, one, one volume after the other. And one of them is entitled, All of the Promises in the Bible. And you know what? It's a big one. Because God has made many, many promises. And it is your responsibility to study and to know them that we might live in light of them. But this poses a question for us here this morning. And the question is this. Why make a promise at all? What's the, what's the purpose of a promise? Have you made any promises this past week? Perhaps a better question. Did you keep any promises this week? A lot of people make promises. Politicians. Car salesmen. And for some reason, it is the fact that there are people out there that don't keep promises that stand out in a group of people to be not respected, but to be looked down upon. Why make promises then? I would suggest to you that a promise is an invitation. If I make a promise to you, I am inviting you to inspect my integrity. When I tell you I promise you, I will show up at 9.45 on a Sunday morning. Well, then you can look at me and say, is this a man who keeps his word? Is he a man of integrity or is he not? And I want you to know that God does the very same thing. Now, what difference does it make to you and I whether or not you know, uh, 
a long time ago, a few thousand years ago, my friends, that this group of people were taken to their land and then returned 70 years later. Well, I'll tell you this, my friend, it was written, recorded, and preserved that you might know that God keeps his promises. That God is a God of his word. And that's not such a big deal these days because we've learned to make jokes and laugh it off. Clever ways to say, well, you know, hey, things happen, right? Right? Who hasn't said that? Hey, things happen. Well, what am I, God, that I can control the weather, the flat tire, the anything else in my world? The answer is you are not. And so the question I would like to address here today, as we begin a new series, I would like to propose that the book of Ezra, which would be a good idea to turn there at this point, I'll win. Okay. I like to think of it as Ezra, part two. Because what happens at the end? Yeah, the bad dude, Haman, is dead, and all of his followers are dead, and God has taken out vengeance on the enemy of his people. Because when you mess with the people of God, you're messing with God. My friends, what we get to see is God's follow-through. And when I think of follow-through, I think about the game of golf. When I think about the game of golf, I wonder why there are golf balls all over our parking lot. Does anybody know why there are golf balls in our parking lot all week long? Anybody? I would like to see you after the service if you have a clue on that. My goodness. So I want to encourage you to turn to Ezra chapter 1. Well, we're going to answer the question, how is it that God can keep all of his promises? Why should we trust God? And reason number one I would present to you, my friends, is because of his nature. Because of who he is. He is a God of integrity. In Hebrews chapter 6, at verse 13, we read, For when God made a promise to Abraham, and we know that promise was made in Genesis chapter 12. We call it the Abrahamic covenant. When God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you, and thus, Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. And then the writer here of Hebrews says, let's talk about this just a little bit more. For people swear by something greater than their, themselves, put their hand on the word of God and make a promise. How many of you, and multiple times, perhaps in your youth, have said, I swear to God that I did that? We don't swear on our own character. We don't say, behold me, I am a man of integrity. Of course you believe me. Do we? And what a shame. Hmm. 
The people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all of their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desire to show more convincingly to the heirs of promise the unchangeable character of purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, Let me read those words again. It is impossible for God to lie. He is perfect. He is holy. He cannot deny himself. It is impossible for God to lie. Impossible for God to lie. And so we know that we can believe the promises of God because God cannot lie. And secondly, Isaiah chapter 49. This is a wonderful passage, Isaiah chapter 49. And it won't even be the last time we're in Isaiah here this morning. But in Isaiah chapter 49, which, which, by the way, is lining up with all of these events going on in uh, just, just about 150 years before this, this exile, this captivity. Isaiah prophesied, thus says the Lord, in a time of favor I have answered you, in a day of salvation I have helped you, I will keep you. And give you as a covenant to the people to establish the land, to apportion the desolate heritages. Saying to the prisoners, come out. And to those who are in darkness, appear. And they shall feed along the ways. On all bare heights shall be their pasture. And they shall not hunger or thirst. Neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them. For he who has pity on them will lead them. He's talking to a people who continues to sin against God. And he talks about this warning of this oncoming exile. This day is coming, but God is good. In verse 11, And I will make all mountains a road, and my highways shall be raised up. And behold, these shall come from afar, and behold, those these from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Syene. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. But Zion says... So we hear what God has said, his covenant promise to Israel to continue to provide for them. But Zion, he's talking about Israel here, has said, the Lord has forsaken me. I mean, look, my Lord has forgotten me. I wonder if the thought has ever crossed your mind in a difficult and dark time. Has God forgotten me? 
And man, have I got a promise for you. Look at verse 15. This is Isaiah 49. You're going to want to underline this guy. Take a screenshot and go back and look at it again. The response of God's, God's word is this. Can a woman forget her nursing child? I mean, well, of course not. And yet I have read countless stories of children being left in the car. Oh, I forgot about them. You know, you're eating lunch, you're fixing yourself a salad, and some, some woman has, has left their child in a car. Or how about in a grocery cart and drove home halfway there? Oh my goodness, I forgot my child. So can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. And look at this, verse 16. Behold, I have engraven you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. The Lord says to the people of God, Every time I go to do it, there you are. Your names are written on the palms of my hands. You are ever before me. There is not a moment that God does not consider your life. That God is not working around in all of his circumstances. Even as you listen now to his word, that he is not working in your life to prepare you for what comes tomorrow, to change course from yesterday. I will not forget you. And so there are the people of God in exile, wondering, has God forgotten us? Has he forsaken us? Has he determined that we were just a waste of time and moved on? Well, let's turn back to Ezra in chapter 1. We have seen the first reason why we can depend on God to keep his promises is that first and foremost because of his nature. He is a God of integrity. He is a God who will not forget. And here in Ezra chapter 1 we see that he is sovereign overall. Do you know what sovereign means? It means he controls everything. There is no such thing as an accident or a coincidence. God is sovereign over all of it. As a matter of fact, he doesn't just, you know, we talk about prophecy. God doesn't look into the future just to see what's going to happen and then have his prophets tell people. My friends, he doesn't just see the end. He determines the end from the very beginning. Because he is sovereign, he can do that. And so we come to verse 1, and we read in the first year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. There it is. 
talking about Jeremiah 25, that the people might be restored to their land. Look at what happens here. That the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah may be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. And that is one of the many ways that God works. Stirring up the lives of people. But I want you to notice, friends, and this is, this is pretty phenomenal. We go back to Isaiah in 45. We're about to read something that was written 150 years before what we just read in verse 1. Isaiah 45, thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus. Cyrus doesn't even exist yet. Cyrus is not even a glimmer in his parents' eyes, my friends. And God is recording this prophecy for everyone to know ahead of time that you might test his integrity. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped, to subdue nations before him and to loose the belts of kings and to open doors before him, that gates may not be closed. Then I will go before you and level the exalted places, and I will break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. And I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hordes in secret places, that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who called you by name for the sake of my servant Jacob, and Israel, my chosen, I call you by name. I name you, though you do not know me. And so the Lord begins to stir King Cyrus, of whom he prophesied 150 years previous. And he stirs lives providentially, my friends. He doesn't just see the end. He determines the end. He stores lives providentially using their personalities. One of the personality things of Cyrus is that he liked to be popular with those whom he reigned over. And so what we're about to see is he's about to put together a proclamation for the people of God to return to the land. Which, by the way, is exactly what God said would happen. And exactly when God said it would happen. You can trust God, my friends. You can trust God. So he not only stirred up King Cyrus here in verse 1, you'll notice he stirred up the leaders of Israel. Then rose up the heads of the fathers, houses of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites and everyone whose spirit God had stirred up to go and to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. And you will notice this, my friend, because he is so uh, sovereign, he doesn't see the end. 
He determines the end. He stirs up lives providentially, and he cannot be frustrated. What God determines to do, he will do. Look at verse 2. Thus says Cyrus, the king of Persia, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. And it's true. He wouldn't have two nickels to rub together if it weren't for the Lord's work to bring him to this point in history for this particular purpose. The God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. And so here it is, the edict to go and rebuild. And to release the captives, look at verse 3. Whoever is among you of all of his people, may his God be with him. And let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And that's the way this fellow saw it. You know, everybody's got their own God. This happens to be their God. He has a small view of God. That's quite honestly, so do we all. And you know how God can keep his promises? Not only because of his nature, and not only because he is sovereign over all, he has endless resources. How many of you ever sang a song? He has the cattle on a, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the gold in every mine. And the fact is, my friends, there wouldn't be any cattle on the hill or any gold in the mine if it weren't for the Lord. He has endless resources. And just like in Egypt, remember how Israel was, was captive? They were slaves in Egypt for 430 years. And you remember how God brought them out? He says, you're going to plunder Israel, or Egypt. And you know how they did it? They went to the door and said, hey, give me some stuff. And you know what happened? People came out with the armful. And it was like payment for the 400 plus years of service that they had accomplished. And the same thing happens right here. He has endless resources. And sometimes all God has to do is stir in the life of someone to put the resources into your hands to accomplish his will. I mean, think about this. Here we are, a smaller church. And yet God stirs the hearts of people in positions of influence in our country. And suddenly, how many of you got a $1,200 check or more? Raise your hand. And look at that. How, how that we can now support the church. I'm just teasing you on that, but you see how that works? How God provides in the most mysterious of ways. I mean, would you have believed at the beginning of the year the government was just going to send you money? Like there's no tax on it or nothing? No, we're just going to send it to you so you can buy stuff. Ridiculous. That's how God works. In the most mysterious and most unusual of ways. And take a look here. Verse 4. And let every survivor in whatever place he sojourns 
be assisted by the men of that place with silver and gold. Hey, go to your neighbors and they're going to give you money. Just like that. And you don't even have to ask. You know why? Because the king already told them to. And here it is, God, moving around some resources, putting it in the hands of the people of God. Look at that. Let him be assisted by the men of the place with silver and gold and with goods and with beasts and besides free will offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. It's like, baby, let's take an offering. Just go next door. That guy's too. And not only the stuff they have to give, the king says, and there's going to be stuff they're going to want to give you. How amazing is that? That God can stir in the hearts of people to move around the resources into the right hands. Look at here in verse 5. Then rose up the heads of the fathers, the houses of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and Levites and everyone whose spirit God had stirred up to go to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. And look at here in verse 6. And all who were with them aided them with the vessels of silver and gold, with goods and beasts and costly wares. And besides all that was freely offered. God stirring. You know how God can keep his promises, my friends? Because of his nature. Because he is sovereign over all. He stores people's lives providentially. His will cannot be frustrated. And he has endless resources. And then to put a candle on the cake here, my friends. Look here in verse 7. And Cyrus the king also brought out the vessels of the house of the Lord that Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and placed in the house of his gods. And Cyrus, the king of Persia, brought these things out in the charge of Mithradeth, the treasurer who counted them out to Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah. And this was the number of them. Thirty basins of gold, a thousand basins of silver, 29 censers, 30 bowls of gold, 410 bowls of silver, and a thousand other vessels. And all the vessels of gold and of silver were 5,400. All these did Cheshbashar bring up when the exiles were brought up from Babylonia to Jerusalem. And so here, God has not only set them free, but given them purpose. They are now headed back to the promised land, just as God had said. And they are not going empty-handed, my friends. Because when God calls, He enables. When God calls, He enables, my friends. And so back they go. So know this, my friends, God keeps his promises. 
and it is your responsibility to be a student of the Word of God, to know the promises of God, to know what He has said and what He has not said. My friends, we need to get at it. If you don't know God's promises, how then can you trust Him? If you do not know what He said, how will you know what to do? Philippians chapter, verse, chapter 2 and verse 13 is a significant verse in light of how God works. Philippians chapter 2 verse 13 reads this, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God works in you both to will, that means God works in you to want to do something and to do it. God stirs the lives of men and women and children to do his will, to accomplish his purposes for his glory. And where God calls, he always provides. So I commend you this morning to lean on God's promises. Lean on his promises. They won't break. God has never broken a promise. Because it's contrary to his nature. Because he is sovereign over all, my friends. And his resources are endless. What is God calling you to do? Poking at you recently. Maybe a little longer than recent. Something you need to do. And you're worried. What will it cost? What will I do? How will I do it? Iron River, Michigan. Separately, Melanie and I had sensed that God was saying, now is the time to go and get that master's degree. And separately, we both thought, well, we just got to this church. I mean, we can't just leave, right? It wasn't two months later that we were in Dallas, Texas. God having provided in the most enormous of ways, my friends. God makes it abundantly clear. He stirs our hearts. And my friends, just a word of caution here this morning. If you don't know what I mean by God stirring your heart, I'd be a little concerned about that. Maybe you don't have the Spirit of God in you. You've never come to a point in your life, or oh, perhaps you've heard it, Yes, Jesus died on the cross. We heard it. It's Easter. I get it. Well, of course I believe that. Everyone believes that. She didn't realize that he did so to pay the penalty for our sin, which is death. He died for your sin and rose from the dead. And you never took the step of putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Because the moment you do that, 
You are not only forgiven of every sin you ever have or will commit, but you are indwelt with the Spirit of God who convicts us of sin. The Spirit of God who leads us into truth, who stirs up men and women and children's hearts to do His will for His glory and the good of His people. It's time to act, my friends. What is it that God is calling you to do? Because I guarantee you this, based on his word and his perfect record, God keeps his promises. Let's pray together. Our Father, I ask God that you would Steal away our sleep, God, until we have spent time in your word. That we find a habit, no Bible, no breakfast, whatever it might be. That we might know what you have said, what you have promised, what you have recorded and preserved for us. That we might know your nature. That we might know your actions, your promises. God, how will we ever grow in our faith if we don't know what you've told us to believe in? Give us great faith, God, mountain-moving kind of faith in what you've said. God, take us, take us, preserve us, God, from, from complacency to be simply okay enough to hear it, nod our heads, and go on with our life. God, enable us to trust you in such ways that others would look in on marvel to know that you are a faithful God and to give you praise. I pray, God, that as we learn these promises, every one of them will be tried and every one of them will be proved. And that our faith will continue to grow and our obedience will be careful, faithful, and that you will be glorified in all of these things. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Emily is about to come. I'm going to encourage you to stand, to sing, and to leave this place with a song in your heart, my friends. Thank you, Emily. I'll just leave it there, Dave. <laughs> Good idea. <laughs> All right. Um, if you were not here last week, we are going to be singing one song at the end of the service for a while. Um, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. If you don't know it yet, you will by the end of this month, probably. It's very short and sweet, but um, really rich in preparing our hearts um, to be pure and holy. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy. 
for joining us, for being a part of what God is doing at Family Bible Church. Pack up your stuff and get out of here. <laughs> <laughs>